my client Misha got married, and it was everything she hoped it would be. Even when a few things went unexpectedly, like the groom's boutonniere falling off in the middle of the ceremony, they all just giggled and carried on. The newlyweds went to Florida for their honeymoon, and the Tuesday after she returned, I got an email from Misha. Just got back yesterday. I was thinking of food the entire time. It was nice, but we both ate so much that we felt sick by the end. It was really hard. We set up a phone call ASAP so we could sort through what had happened in a real conversation. Meanwhile, my other client, Cynthia, texted me that last night she had eaten ice cream, candy, and just felt awful about how it went. She planned to eat some ice cream after her girls were in bed, but she had about twice her usual portion. Also, she discovered some Easter candy in the freezer while she was in there, which her husband had bought and was trying to hide from the kids. She ate the Easter candy as well. She felt like things had started off fine, but derailed at some point into compulsive, joyless eating. She wanted to talk right away about what had happened and what she should try to do differently. My conversations with Misha and Cynthia revealed that there was a lot of commonality. You might think honeymoon overindulgence with your new spouse would be a completely different situation than an average Tuesday night at home alone with the freezer, but it turns out these women had almost identical drivers for their binge-eating behavior. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. All right, Misha, I said, after some congratulations, talk to me about your honeymoon. She said it was great. The warm weather and the quiet beachside house they rented was a real treat. It was also a huge relief to just be past the wedding, this big event they had been planning for months. All the decision-making and trying to handle when family members wanted to try to convince the bride and groom to do things differently than they wanted had been stressful. But every single day, Misha and her husband ate and ate. He seemed fine with it and was just having fun, but she felt sick every night after getting into bed. And now that she was home, her clothing was tight and uncomfortable. Often, when someone is struggling with binge eating or overeating post-wedding, I can directly trace that to the diet they endured to lose weight before the wedding. Trying to lose those five extra pounds by crash dieting in the week or two before the big day is a very reliable setup for -for free-for-all eating on the honeymoon. It's your body-mind's normal response to food restriction. But Misha actually had not done any of that. She was eating like her usual self right up to the wedding day, trying to choose mostly healthy foods, enjoy some treats, but keep it a healthy balance. She didn't get on the scale anyway, so she spared herself the drama of agonizing over two invisible pounds. This is an approach I highly recommend. So what had happened on the honeymoon then? Misha explained that she kept thinking that this time with her husband was special. She felt like it was the only chance or a rare opportunity to both have the week off from work. And in her words, you only get one honeymoon. It's supposed to be the pinnacle of joy. I see her point. After all, in common vernacular, we use the term honeymoon phase to describe this idyllic period of time when nothing seems wrong and everything's heavenly. I also see how this creates some pressure if you're actually on your honeymoon. 
Like, right now, I must have the best time of my whole life. That's a tall order when it comes to filling your schedule and deciding whether you want to lounge by the pool or the beach. It adds a big layer of expectation to ordering dinner. What do I order if this has got to be the best week ever? I started to see Misha had put a lot of pressure on herself to feel sky-high levels of enjoyment from the day she got there to the day she came home. Accordingly, eating rich foods and dessert with every meal has seemed like it was how a person was supposed to honeymoon. I also picked up on Misha's thinking that this was the one and only chance because it was so few precious days and then they'd both be home and back to work. She also mentioned how she and her new husband had looked up all the best places to eat in the area and each time they ate, she was thinking, I will never be here again. When she learned there was a famous ice cream and donut shop in the area, of course they went. And she felt like, since this was her only chance to eat there, she should have ice cream and a donut. You might be on to what I'm hearing here. Clues that at least some of the time, Misha is viewing food with a scarcity mindset. We all saw what happened when everyone anticipated a toilet paper shortage during COVID. When we feel like the food available right now isn't going to be there in the future, it drives up our motivation to overconsume or hoard right now. Even if we aren't hungry, or the food isn't actually that amazing once we get a taste of it, when now's my chance thinking enters the picture, it strongly incentivizes giving in and overdoing it. So keep your ears out for the following phrases in case they enter your own mind. Now's my chance. It's now or never. It's going to be gone. This is only for a limited time. Before we explore some solutions and exercises for this issue, let me introduce you to Cynthia. Cynthia and I have worked together on and off for many years. She has transformed from a woman plagued by binge eating and purging every single day to currently unable to remember the last time she binged. She said she never feels out of control anymore with food, but she does sometimes make choices that she isn't happy with, and she likes to talk with me to help understand why she made them. Last night was a Tuesday just like any other. Cynthia worked hard at her job as a hospital administrator. She came home and spent the evening taking care of her two daughters. Her husband worked late, so the work of making dinner, feeding the girls, cleaning up, getting one started on homework and the other into a bathtub, just felt like an extension of an already long workday. Her workplace had held some sort of staff appreciation event during the afternoon and was giving out free ice cream to the employees. Cynthia decided to pass on it because it wasn't her favorite flavor. I don't see anything wrong with this line of thinking. It can be immensely beneficial to get clear on which treats and treat contexts bring you the most joy, and which ones are just ho-hum. For a lot of people, eating treats at work isn't as pleasant of a context as others. And certainly, if a cookie or ice cream flavor offered to you isn't one on your favorites list, you might be happier holding out for that top tier. So far, so good. Cynthia evaluated the free ice cream, decided she would rather pass on it. But she kept thinking about ice cream. Her favorite kind was at home in her freezer. No problem, I will have some tonight, she decided, and enjoy it. So after the long day with her kids finally in bed, she got herself her usual serving of her favorite ice cream. 
She gave herself a pat on the back for not having the ice cream earlier so she could enjoy this now and know that it fit within her goals. And then she thought, I have a blood test coming up in about a week and a half. I want my average blood glucose numbers to be better than they were several months ago. So I won't have any desserts or sugar next week. This will be my last dessert until the blood test. You may already know what this feels like for Cynthia. I do. Saying this is the last time I will have this thing that I really enjoy makes us want more of it. It doesn't even have to be the last time ever. Just thinking about 10 days with no desserts can do it. And that's what happened to Cynthia. She went back and ate another bowl of ice cream, and darn it, discovered that Easter candy her husband had hidden there. She ate that too, all the while thinking ahead about the 10 days to come where she would not eat any sugar. You may recognize that Cynthia, like Misha, had become caught up viewing food through that same scarcity lens. She was setting herself up for 10 days with no sweets or desserts, so the desserts which were available now had the same now's my chance appeal that Misha had felt. And for both of them, it caused them to veer significantly away from their usual healthy balanced habits. Eating habits which felt comfortable and satisfying, I might add. I hope that these examples help you recognize if you get a bit of scarcity mindset going at any point. Remember, a scarcity mindset is only a temporary frame of reference to which we are all prone in varying degrees. Scarcity thinking isn't something you either have or don't have. It's something that might pop up very rarely for you or very frequently. Recognizing when we are seeing things through a scarcity mindset is obviously necessary for interrupting the pattern and helping ourselves shift into a more helpful point of view. I'm going to outline two different approaches here, both of which can help, and you're welcome to try one or both. The first approach is to try swapping for what we call an abundance mindset. Essentially, we remind ourselves that food is abundant, not scarce. An abundance mindset sounds like Yes, those cookies look good, but there are cookies at home and thousands of cookies at the store. I don't need to treat these like they are the only or the last cookies on earth. I'm always going to have plenty to eat. The rest of my life has many, many, many weekends and many, many, many desserts. I don't have to stuff myself right now. Thank goodness for the internet. I can get fruitcake or Cadbury eggs any time of the year. One of my favorite mental exercises to help shift from scarcity into abundance mindset regarding food is to visualize the aisle of the grocery store where that food is sold and say to yourself, it's not going anywhere. Thanks to some factory or farm, there is probably much more of this food in production at this very minute. You can see how making plans to cut back or diet puts us straight into a scarcity mindset which is why it backfires and leads to eating more immediately. Note that you don't have to actually restrict your eating. Just planning to enforce a limit in the future can be a trigger. My advice, don't ever tell yourself you'll cut back tomorrow if you have overeaten. Instead, remind yourself you want to try and meet your needs more accurately tomorrow, that you want to listen to your body better. Don't set up anything that feels like suffering. Just aim to do things that will leave you feeling happier and more comfortable than you do right now. Speaking of happiness and comfort, purposely shifting to an abundance mindset around joy is really helpful if you struggle with overeating 
when the food is super tasty. I just don't want to end the enjoyment, my clients will often say. Further discussion typically reveals that food is the only thing or one of very few things they have noticed being enjoyable that day. So it makes a lot of sense. In times when life feels devoid of pleasure, the pleasure of tasty things to eat is exceptionally hard to moderate. An abundance mindset can help here by seeing that joy is all around us, not only in eating, and it's not something we have to limit either. You can have all the joy you want. No harm will come to you, though I am the first to acknowledge that pleasure can be really difficult to find or create. Some of this is because we expect joy to be in certain places, and this expectancy means that we actually do find more joy there, whether it's our dinner, or a movie with our partner, or some uninterrupted time to just get in a workout. When we expect pleasantness, we're more likely to feel it, and the inverse holds true as well. If we expect an activity to be a drag, say folding the laundry, a normal day at our jobs, or attending a kid's soccer game, that expectancy increases the likelihood of it feeling joyless and tedious. This is not me saying you need to find cleaning the litter box joyful or you are doomed to overeat. What I am saying is that there really is pleasantness found in many places, and there's nothing wrong with you if you've gotten used to finding it in just one or two. Your brain is good at noticing patterns and making predictions, but if we want to feel like we actually do have an abundance of pleasantness available to us, it takes some work. We need to recognize our predictions and be open-minded to being wrong. Folding the laundry, I have found, is actually somewhat nice. Not if I'm grumbling to myself about the pointlessness of cleaning and arranging things I'm only going to make dirty again, but if I go into it willing to notice that the warm fabric feels nice and my neat little stacks of folded shirts or something like a craft project, I can pick up on some pleasantness that is there. It's also a great time to put on my headphones and sing while my hands are occupied. It will never be my favorite thing to do, but that's not the point. The point is to realize that joy isn't only found in one or two of our favorite things. There's a lot of it sprinkled around in tiny bits like glitter. Panning for gold also comes to mind. We need to look for small glints in a great mass of silt and sand, but it is there. There is plenty of food for me to eat. I'm not going to go hungry. I'm never going to put myself through a starvation diet again. I have plenty of things to enjoy this evening in addition to my dinner. The abundance mindset should feel comforting and ease your mind. It can loosen the grip of wanting more, more, more. The second strategy that can help if you notice you're caught in a moment of scarcity mindset is presence. I focused on this a great deal with Misha. As we were talking, she observed she's very future-oriented in her day-to-day life. She was counting down the days to the wedding, and then immediately counting down the days until the honeymoon, and then when she was on the trip, she was counting down the days until coming home. All of this thinking ahead is actually making me ignore what's happening today, she said. I'd never just enjoy the moment. Especially when the experience or food you're having is one that's infrequent or it's not a food that's present in your local grocery store 365 days a year, don't you want to tune in and taste it? Misha and I talked about using her senses 
to tune in and reconnect with enjoying the present moment. I asked her to notice who and what is around her. She described what she could see at that moment. I asked, is the sun shining? Is there nature you can see? Can you hear anything? Is there something nice to feel or smell in your environment? When we turn our attention to our senses this way, instead of just leaving them running in the background, we can bring ourselves back. Misha started to sound excited. She asked when should she practice this if she is literally always thinking ahead right now. I suggested actively get present when you're concerned or worried about the future. Like, oh no, there's only this many days until we go home. When looking forward to the future is robbing her of current enjoyment, like being halfway through lunch but not even noticing because she's obsessing over dinner, or when she's regretting something in the past and ruminating on it, I'm so annoyed I ate so much yesterday, I feel so guilty. Cynthia also benefited from practicing coming back to the current moment. We uncovered that she would sometimes use future-oriented thinking as an excuse to justify overeating today. This could take the form of, uh, I still have a couple weeks before I see anyone at the party, or this extra eating is fine, I'll just run extra tomorrow. Doing something now and promising to be different in the future is a really good sign you're doing something right now that doesn't line up with your values. So now it's your turn. We talked about Misha. We talked about Cynthia. This may look unique in your life. Can you recognize when you're seeing things from a scarcity mindset? And then are you willing to help yourself out of it like a kind, gentle friend? For me, it sounds like, hey, Georgie, maybe this feels like it's rare or going to disappear, but it's not. Let's just come back to right now, girlfriend. We'll figure out tomorrow when it gets here. I hope this helps you find a little more peace and a little more ease in a world that can definitely feel frantic and scarce. I got your back. I know you got mine. We're in this together.